What is going on, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and ad-free shows. I, of course, am John Alba, and this week we continue our little engagement on wrestling media and how it's constructed, and we're talking to some of the biggest names in wrestling media, and we got one of them joining Eric Bischoff and I here on this edition of Strictly Business. So without further ado, let's bring both of them in. We've got Eric Bischoff, of course, and Eric joining us this week is the part owner of Fightful, that is Sean Ross Sapp. Sean, thanks so much for hopping on Strictly Business with Eric and I here. I'm very excited to do it. I always love talking to Eric, and, and you're also here, John. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a good left-handed. It wasn't quite a slap, but it was a little bit more than a nudge. I like that. That was smooth, brother. Passive-aggressive, I dig listen, it. Listen, I love John. I love John. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, Eric, I know that you have found this conversation very fascinating. Last week, we talked with Dave Shearer and Mike Johnson from PW Insider. Uh, this week, we're looking at one of the more uh, new age dogs of wrestling media in Sean Ross Sapp, who really has taken a, a significant hold of that sector of the industry. What was your interest in bringing Sean in for this episode? Well, I think, you, you, I mean, you really, you touched on it uh, very well, you know, Fightful, Sean Russell. I started following Sean, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a year ago, year and a half ago. I lost track of time. I don't know. I'm old shit. Um, but I, I've always enjoyed not only Sean's coverage of the news, and I, I, my impression early on was that he was very credible. And I lean into people who I believe are covering the news, but covering it without an agenda without their personal relationships getting involved and, and doing so with some journalistic integrity, because I think the industry deserves that. I think fans of the business deserve that. And very few people are doing it. You know, you mentioned Dave Shearer and Mike Johnson, two people who I've, I've actually, I've always had respect for them way more. So now after, you know, the, the interview that we did last week, but I started out with a lot of respect for Sean as well. But what I'm really fascinated, I want to learn more about news and covering the news because it's changed so much over the last 20 years. Um, but also Fightful as a platform and, and the business model of that platform, because that is, quite impressive to say the least i think what makes sean's story really unique is that sean really got a hold on one side of the industry and then decided to parlay that into reporting and working in media so sean i'd love for you to catch everyone up to speed where does your interest in covering professional wrestling start and how did you go about making that reality for yourself pro wrestling i mean i i still remember the very first match i saw i saw sting Great Muta, Ric Flair, all in a ring. It was that that terrible cage match where Sting got hurt climbing up the cage. But I see those three guys, and I go, what is this? What, what am I watching? And I never stopped. Never stopped. Found WWF, which was a little bit more my taste, but it was always wrestling from that point. I love sports, sports, competition, and entertainment, and all the things that went into it. But, like... I always say like, I didn't know that I was going to be a writer, but if you look at my high school yearbook, it says I want to be a sports writer. So I always had that in my mind and I wanted to do that. And my aunt was a writer, a freelance writer. 
another aunt of mine that I spent a lot of time with was on the radio. So, I mean, I had a lot of, of media influences without even realizing that they were media influences. So I had a good feel of at least the fact that you could make a living doing something like that. And um, really in my, my late teens, early twenties, I was like, okay, I want to do something. And, and at the time it was MMA or pro wrestling that I wanted to be involved with. And I just started to gain as much experience as possible. Uh, a lot of free work uh, doing literally anything I possibly could. That's, that's kind of how the new age era of writers start. I feel like you're, you're working for pretty much pennies at that point. So when you got into this, were you looking at the Mike Johnson's and the Dave Shears and the Jason Powell's guys that Eric has spoken so much about, or did you have your own preference on how wrestling news was covered? So I, I always speak about media literacy and I had none of it when I started. I did not know who Dave Meltzer was. I did not know who Wade Keller or Mike Johnson or Dave Scherer or anybody like that was. I had no idea. I would read like, and all due respect to these websites, but I would read like Lords of Pain and WrestleZone and, and things like that. Like I, I knew who Justin Labar was, but I didn't know who Dave Meltzer was outside of seeing him maybe sourced on those. My media literacy was very low. However, on the MMA end of things, my media literacy was actually very high because I looked at people like Kenny Florian, who had this wealth of experience and was one of the first to move into analysis because he had that experience and was wrapping up his career. I saw Ariel Hawani, who was a major inspiration for me in balancing the, the entertainment and, and serious coverage of things. I saw him. I saw the people that they would put on ESPN an awful lot for, for MMA Live or whatever that may be. So my media literacy was incredibly low on the wrestling end of things. And I think it was pretty high on the MMA end of things to where uh, I, I had some good examples there. And then when, when I got into college and I was like, you know what? I, I mean, media literacy is, is, of course, one of the first classes that you take in that journalism program. Then I was like, oh, okay, I need to go straight to the source. I need to do all that. But really, my familiarity with wrestling journalists in particular pretty much extended to Bill Apter, and that was it, which is why I wanted to work for him so bad. It's really interesting, you know, and I almost – I think that's an advantage for you because you came in clean without sure. preconceived ideas about how wrestling should be covered or 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 favoring a certain type of – coverage you know because everybody's a little different and i'm really glad you weren't overly impressed with dave Meltzer right out of the bat because you would have been freaking ruined he, he, he would have he would have trashed you he would have never been successful had you followed in in his footsteps so good on well, you i i am i mean i i respect dave and like dave but i'm i'm glad that our coverage is categorically different than everybody's my my line of thinking in what i do is that I cover something that is so incredibly unserious at times that sometimes our coverage needs to reflect that. I think especially like no, the, the market is cornered for overly serious wrestling journalism and material. So I don't feel like that's something that I would even enjoy providing. I cover something that, I mean, people are, are out there doing ridiculous stuff all the time. So, I mean, sometimes our coverage needs to be a little bit ridiculous. However, there are times when wrestling is, necessarily serious and we have to adjust our coverage appropriately there as well i think there's there's a lot more room for a lot of different things in entertainment 
and things like wrestling. It's just wrestling does have that sports aspect too, which is why you get so many people that are like, no, you have to cover this serious as a heart attack and nothing else, which just to me isn't sustainable for what I do. Why is it not sustainable? Because ultimately, especially if I'm going to be the one breaking the news, a lot of times, like, for example, I'm on the post-Raw shows, I'm on the post-AEW shows. A lot of times I realize these people aren't tuning in because they like me. They're tuning in because they want news on what happened on the show. And if they just got done watching a three-hour variety show, effectively, I don't know if our audience has ever necessarily wanted a serious as a heart attack post-show. Or, or coverage like that. And there's so many ridiculous, fun, funny things in pro wrestling too that I think should go covered and, and do help out. Uh, that I, I, For me, what I like for our outlet is that we can do a little bit of everything and we trust our audience to be smart enough to decipher that. Like when we write a joke headline, like – a good one that blew up Brian Danielson saying that apples are essentially tree semen. I'm not expecting that to like win a Pulitzer or anything. <laughs> it should, it got AEW to make a shirt. That's cool. But I, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, our audience would enjoy reading this. And man, I, I, this is going to sound so Kentucky of me, but one of the greatest lessons I ever learned about media coverage came from Joe dirt when he's talking to kicking wing at the fireworks stand and kicking wings. Like I just like snakes and sparklers and Joe dirt's like, it doesn't matter what you want. This is why you're failing. It matters about what the person driving up the street wants. They want the, the whistling kitty chasers and, and the Husker do's and Husker don'ts. Maybe I don't like the whistling kitty chasers, but there's an awful lot of people out there that do. And I want to serve those people as well and do it in an entertaining way. Uh, it's not always about you. It's about the consumer. God, you know what's so cool about what you just said is it applies it, it applies to wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've said this, John, you probably, I don't know, it may have rung a bell for you or not, but I've said something very similar, not in those words. But, you know, and I think Dusty Rhodes probably said it before I did, and maybe I picked it up, you know, subconsciously from him. Um, but to me, wrestling, it, it needs to be a buffet. I may happen to like um, barbecue chicken, but there's a lot of people that want pork chops and roast beef and yeah. ham and, and other stuff, you know, and, and mashed potatoes. And, you know, I mean, a buffet, in order to be successful, you have to appeal to a wide variety of people, not just the things that you like. Ted Turner basically said the same thing. And I, I paraphrased him a number of times throughout my career is, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but Ted, something to the effect of, you know, when you're in the context was talking about programming TNT and TBS and and how programming them was different. And one of the things that Ted said, again, butchering it is, you know, don't program for yourself. And the point that he made, Ted made was if I programmed or asked TNT to be programmed for all the things that I would like, I would have an audience of one, maybe two. (laughs) And, and you have to know what your audience wants versus what you enjoy and like that's that was really cool I'm and, and sometimes that. that buffet is going to be a butt fay and it tastes like shit and you know what you do <laughs> you throw it in the trash can and you go get something else that's yeah. the beauty you of know it. it's the other thing john let me jump in sure. i heard you say i counted three times you may have said it four times but you referred to your audience 
do you think your audience, including Fightful, is unique in general? <laughs> I, I, I know there's got to be a lot of crossover, but do you think you appeal to a different market share than traditional or more established sites? Well, I know, I know that we do because I've, I've worked for a lot of these top wrestling websites and I was able to see their demographics before we left. And I know that we have one, we've got a younger demographic than a lot of those. We have a significantly higher female demographic than a lot of those. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that based on where I worked before, based on the demographics that I saw on their channels, I think ours was about three or four times as high. And that was within the first few years. And that's expanded since then. But um, I, I definitely do think that we serve a more media literate audience than some other free websites. Uh, I think, you know, we, we have a lot of crossover with like Observer and things like that. But I think our audience is probably also generally younger than Wrestling Observer as well. But um, that was one of the things before I left the other sites to start Fightful. I was like, okay, let me get a look at these demographics and see where they sort of land and see what an underserved part of the wrestling audience might be because uh, th th I had to do something new, right? Like I couldn't do the same exact thing that everybody else was doing because there's no shortage of that. There was my, my line of thinking was what, what does wrestling need? What do, what isn't there? And gosh, I wish I could pronounce it right. There's this, there's this Japanese thing called the icky guy or, or, and it, it talks about like, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, what the world needs, what you love, and then a mixture of your passion, mission, vocation, and profession. And that's what I, I felt like we needed to sort of go towards is something in the middle of all that that was underserved. And at that point, it was like crossover MMA wrestling coverage. And as we got more used to it, we refined it and found exactly what it was that was underserved and uh, applied to that. There's another way of saying that, you know, better than, different than, or less than. And that's sure. the same thing you did there. You found that unique, underserved, just like the 18 to 49-year-old audience. <clears throat> Before Nitro, nobody talked about it. WWE was a teen and preteen product. They, they created it. They targeted that audience. That was their bread and butter. It wasn't until Nitro came along and, and started going after the 18 to 49-year-old audience exactly for the same reason that you were talking about because it was underserved there was no way i could compete with the incumbent wwe and try to try to take their market share they had too much control over it and they were too good at it but there was these 18 to 49 year olds that were sitting around doing nothing didn't pay not paying attention to wrestling because nobody serviced them we did and i think the business changed as a result so kudos to you for kind of reverse engineering your success. Most people just launch a site and kind of figure it out as they go or a business for that matter, yeah. any business. You kind of started in, you, you looked at where the needs were and worked backwards. And I, that's, I, I think it's brilliant, brother. I, I think you deserve a lot of credit for approaching this business that way, because you may have been one of the first ones in your, your world, your, your genre to kind of reverse engineer the process and catapult yourself to the front of the line in the process. I love that story. And there's a lot of trial and error and stuff like that. And I mentioned the snakes and sparklers thing, but sometimes you do have to trust your own instinct to, to that, that note and realize that if you find something like if I, as somebody who 
tries to find things out for a living, find something interesting, somebody else probably will as well. And the main thing that I looked at when I would click on a wrestling news website, the thing that I wanted was, okay, I, I want to know more. I want to learn more. I want to find out things that, one, maybe I'm not supposed to find out, and two, that I didn't know before. And uh, fortunately, like I had somebody that trusted my vision and, and was like, yep, let's go do this. Sean, I want to, before we get into talking about the business model of Fightful, because Eric, as we talk about that, I think you're going to be blown away by how Fightful is able to monetize in the ways that it does. But you keep harping back to that term media literacy. Mm -hmm. And it's something that Eric and I talked about months ago on this podcast when it was just behind the ad-free shows paywall. In your opinion, what is media literacy break that down for our audience what does that mean and why is that important in building a business model like what fightful has it is the ability to decipher and determine uh news that is disseminated to you and, and where it came from to to analyze and look at a story especially firsthand and say okay this is trustworthy or not trustworthy um I, I think that aggregation is absolutely necessary. I've made my living, albeit a very, very small one, with aggregation, but it was with responsible aggregation because I had the, the benefit of working for Wrestling Inc., the biggest wrestling website in the world, and doing that aggregation. And I would see how people would respond to their news that they broke being reported secondhand. Mm -hmm. And it's the ability to determine, okay, is this secondhand accounting reliable or do I need to go straight to the source? Do I need to go to fightfulselect.com and plop down my five bucks? Or is this wrestling Inc wrestling headlines, 411 mania. And now it's just like Twitter accounts that post like 140 characters in a picture type of thing. Right. Like there, there are so many different elements of media literacy and, and as media expands, I feel like that literacy needs to expand too. I really wish it was taught in high school because I think it's very, very important to not formulate opinions, views that, that sometimes last, last a lifetime with people based on 280 characters and, and a, a flashy photo. Sure. So as an example for our audience here, if Dave Meltzer reports something is happening and Wrestling Inc. does an article citing Dave Meltzer as the source for reporting it, Proper media literacy would know that it is not Wrestling Inc. reporting it. They are Correct. merely repurposing Dave Meltzer's report and sourcing him. Improper media literacy would imply that Wrestling Inc. is the one that is reporting said news. Yeah. Has that been a challenge for you as you've gone about this journey here? Oh, an incredible amount. And, and for me, I'm more active on social media than a lot of the other like the Mike Johnson's Dave Meltzer's. So I am quick to be like, that's bullshit. If I see that and I see somebody attributing something to us that wasn't to us, I am quick and happy to let people know that it is absolute bullshit. Cause I don't want to establish uh, that it's okay to do that. I, I want to make it very clear. Like you're not going to apply these types of things to us because there are so many wrestlers including a couple of really prominent situations that grew up the same time that I did and did the same thing that I did. They did not read Dave Meltzer or Wade Keller or Mike Johnson. They read the Wrestle Zones and the the, the 4 in 1 Manias of the world and 
that's also how they still get their news. And they might get their news off of random Facebook podcast pages or Twitter pages that are just arbitrarily throwing stuff up out of context or with selective context and may look at that and say, well, Sean Ross Sapp's affecting my career. There have been numerous occasions where I've I've like had people like that reach out to me and say, like, why did you report this about me? And then I provide them the actual context from Select, and they're like, that's weird. Why did they do that? Well, they've got poor media literacy, unfortunately. That's that's the, the, the element of that. And I don't expect everybody to have gone through a course or anything like that. That's not realistic. But I'm hoping to normalize a lot more going straight to the source or uh, at least waiting until that, that source provides the context of the information as opposed to formulating so many opinions and agendas and stuff based on single tweets or, or aggregations. Eric, did you ever have that on the other side of the equation in that perspective where maybe you thought somebody reported something and then found out that it wasn't actually them? Oh, fuck yeah, all the time. Because And the first thing I do when I see something I don't like is react, right? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a caveman that way. Um, and then there's been times, and I, I think it may even, Sean may have corrected me once or twice in the last year or so, where I'll, I'll fire some, because I like to fuck with Sean. He's fun. He's got, you know, he, he, he comes right back. And I love that because it's, you know, it, hey, I'm sitting around my house. It's me and my dog watching the snow. I like to be entertained. <laughs> but there have been, seriously, there have been times that I've done that. And I felt stupid as a result because it is stupid. You call it Ill- illiteracy. I call it stupidity. Same thing. <laughs> you know, but I think, I think media literacy a lot of it has to do, yes, it has to do with the consumer, clearly. And the way the consumer's conditioned, because, again, it's wrestling, you're checking in, it's on your Twitter. Uh, it's not like, you know, not like you're checking in on the stock market to see how bad your cryptocurrency is getting battered. <laughs> you know, this is just entertainment. And I think people have become accustomed to, unfortunately, over the years, of not taking their sources of information seriously, but assuming it's all, you know, been done in a journalistic way and i and i and i don't mean to get you in between you know get you in the middle of me and melser but i think a lot of it has to do with the illiteracy of some of the people that produce news including dave melser you can't expect the consumer to be literate if the editor and the publisher is illiterate and doesn't follow any journalistic standards and i think it's happening because of you sean and and because of others again you know Wade Keller probably among them as of the last couple of years, and certainly Dave Shearer, Mike Johnson, and many others, the team over at Wrestling Inc., for example, and, and WrestleZone. There's a lot of good people doing good work, but there's still some some people that are doing it the same way they've always done it, and it's not with a lot of literacy or grammar or integrity, for that matter. Just my opinion. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I think it's important in in what I do to not, especially on the news report itself, I, there's never opinion-based stuff in there unless it's the opinion of a source I'm reaching out to. And then I try to balance that. But there's 
my opinion is never in a story. Now, if I'm live on the air or something and somebody says, what's your opinion on this? I'll share it. But I feel like at this point, because of especially those engagement accounts on Twitter that will take anything you say and report it as if you are saying it as fact, you have to preface it with, with this is my opinion. It's not a report type of thing. And I hate that that's necessary on like your own streams, your own social media, because it should be assumed in a lot of that stuff. But also I am in a unique position where I report objective news about a subjective form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And there are opinions applied to all those things. That's so. really that, that that's a really smart statement you just made. And by the way, speaking of smart, we often say here, Sean, that we live to enlighten, both on the 83 Weeks podcast and clearly Strictly Business. That's what this podcast is all about. We all want to learn something and walk away at the end of an episode knowing something more about the business of the wrestling business, as we are in this case, than we knew before we sat down. And part of that, thanks to our producer, Steve Kaufman, because you mentioned a Japanese term early on and you weren't sure of the pronunciation. Thanks again to Steve, our producer. It's ikigai, which is a reason for being. So there you go. How about that? Now, Sean, I want to get into the structure of Fightful because you are doing it differently than a lot of other outlets are it's a very new form of medium and eric i think you'll find a lot of this fascinating too because i kind of look at fightful's business model having out of transparency i've done work for fightful before there's almost three pillars of it you have the news that goes right to the website where you're actively reporting stuff that's one you have the second piece which is the active media that i like to refer to which are the post shows you have this network of shows that air content throughout the day where you can engage people with super chats that they can donate money to in real time. And then you have Fightful Select, which is the paywall. And it's one of the largest wrestling Patreons in the world. So I'd love to hear the the largest. No, I got some, you got some heat with me for that, by the way, because for a long time, for a long time, every shows was in that top spot. I mean, as far as revenue goes, ad free shows might be above because you you all have like some pretty high tiers up there. So largest by number of patrons. Yeah. Largest by number, not by revenue. But still, when you go to that site, it doesn't break that down. It just shows you a freaking graph. Do we have that graph? Has anybody got that graph? You go to that graph and it's going to fightful. And it's like a, it's like looking at a drag strip. We're on the starting end and fightful's down here on that end. And I hate that. Just so, Sean, ego. It's just ego. It's all Sean, it can, you, can you break that down then? How you guys are able to monetize in those three sectors? And if I'm missing any, by all means, please enlighten. Sure. So uh, the the web end of it, the actual website, it likely doesn't make nearly like what we pay in for it. I mean, because we pay our writers very well, especially compared to where I was at before, where I was making a buck fifty, three bucks an article. When I left there, I was like, that that will never happen here. That will never happen at Fightful. So from the web end of things, we probably don't make back what we invest into it. However, those other ends of it more than make up for that. And I feel like having that that standard website is necessary. I mean, we started off as a completely free website and everything, all the exclusives went on Fightful.com. In early 2018, uh, Jimmy Van, who owns Fightful, who started Fightful, said, we're going to do a paywall. It will work. I was 
adamantly against it. Uh, and maybe I was against it because I didn't necessarily have confidence in myself to create exclusive content. But my line of thinking was, okay, what will people pay for? People will pay for something that they don't have. What don't they have? Well, it's the information that I'm able to get that other people don't have or information beforehand. So uh, we decided to monetize all that. All of the exclusive information and news that we have is behind the paywall with a couple of exceptions. If it's about like something sexual in nature or an arrest or somebody like that, we're not going to monetize that. We might monetize the fallout, like the fallout of Vince McMahon and the reactions backstage. Uh, but we're not going to monetize like this person is involved in some sort of sexual controversy, et cetera. And we will not monetize releases like those. I break those news, that news for free on Fightful because I think that's kind of scummy to benefit off that. Uh, we will have subsequent details and things behind the Fightful Select paywall. But um, we were able, fortunately, to determine like, oh, OK, this is this is also a, a better way to establish relationships in wrestling as well and to determine like what it is that we monetize and what it is that we don't. So we monetize things that we have that other people don't have or don't have yet or details that other people don't have. The main website is your standard news that is not generally exclusive to us, even though after about a week or so, we will take that paywalled stuff and put it uh, on the actual website. That way we can also get the SEO from it. We can get link backs from it and things like that. The YouTube aspect of it, uh, YouTube, Twitch, and all that is that was the most interesting thing to me because to me, that's where you develop relationships and emotional investment in the personalities that you see on screen because you connect with them every single weeknight after Raw, after SmackDown, AEW, Impact, NXT, and you see what they like, you see what you like, you, you pay to interact with them as well, which is not something that we used to be able to do, but... Um, those two, the paywall and YouTube, sort of support everything else we do. But as a result, that website that maybe doesn't make money also serves as a giant billboard for everything else that we do. So I think that it ends up working in a, in a nice uh, circle. What do you think of that model, Eric? I think it's fascinating. And my question about halfway through, three quarters of the way through it was, at some point when you decided to take all of the content that was unique to you, that you had that others didn't have, um, and you decided to put that behind a paywall, was there hesitation on your part? I mean, that's kind of a scary move, right? Incredible you, hesitation. You, you, could, you could get a lot of blowback from the audience. Um, there's a lot of things that I would have considered to be high risks. What was that like for you? I was horrified by it because um, the person who who came to me with the idea of Fightful, he was financially secure. He was good to go. I wasn't. I'd been poor my entire life. And quite honestly, the idea of instituting a paywall is something that could make or break my entire career. And quite honestly, my life and livelihood, they're, like, they're forward. Because the the plug could have been pulled on Fightful at, at any time, and I couldn't have done anything. I could have maybe started up a YouTube channel and went back to work for those websites that paid me three bucks an article. But there was certainly no guarantee. I'm certainly a lot better than I am now. But I, I had to look at, at what I was better at than other people. And I really felt like I was better at finding things out than other people. 
and uh, navigating that type of thing. But we were rocking with a maybe a, a few subscriptions. I, I mean, I can even pull up the numbers um, of how we were doing early on because we were just struggling to find a foothold on the free end of things. Like that was tough. That was that was difficult to do. Uh, so when we start a Patreon, I'm looking April 2018. It was 52, and it didn't get above 100 subscribers until January of the following year. And then it didn't get like, like a year later. We were at 400. Uh, a year later, the beginning of 2021, we didn't even have a thousand. We were at 923. So. It really wasn't even until last year from a calendar perspective that I looked at it and I was like, okay, not only can this be sustainable, it can be successful. It was horrifying to me. I fought it tooth and nail at first, but ultimately it's one of those things where I'm told this is the, the way that we're going. Do your best to make it work. And uh, I did my best to make it work. So that, what is, that is such a cool story, Sean. I love that story. I've, I've been there. You know, it's, it's scary. And, it you know, you were at a stage in your career, you had everything on the line. And a lot of it was your reputation within the industry. You know, if you would to come off looking like a greedy pig and, you know, trying to take people's money just for the sake of taking their money, that would have hurt you going forward if Fightful would have, you know, they would have pulled the plug on it. So I, I really love that story. And I, I, I love the fact that you admitted it because a lot of people wouldn't. It's, it's horrifying. It really was. But um, whew, it was it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes myself and, and my now business partner, Jimmy Van, who was my boss at the time, there are some things he's like, I know how this works. Let's see how it works. Because his original idea, like the, the guy who, who came to me about Fightful, he made a full time living off of wrestling news in the late 90s, early 2000s. The dot com bubble burst. He went into advertising and set for life now incredibly successful owned a a very successful advertising business um in in canada and was like all right i want to i want to give another go it's a thing that that really helped me and made me and he trusted my vision but also he thought that he could do what they did in the advertising world and just simply buy traffic that doesn't work and he lost a lot of money doing that but then like if he would have said well that didn't work that's it and just called it called it a day and wouldn't have said, you know what? I think the paywall method would work. Then we'd never be where we are now. Like we would have never done that. And I don't think that we would have gained the foothold just as a free site. If even if we had never like, even if he didn't try to buy that traffic and spend that money. So a lot of it is trial and error. And for him, it was, it was a very expensive trial and error that eventually paid off. So I was, I was very fortunate in that regard, even though I was, incredibly scared to do this so i, I know john we want to talk about our, our our sponsor here that makes this show possible rocket money but before we do that i want to ask you real quick uh actually this is steve kaufman again our producer wanted to know were there any particular stories that broke that contributed to that growth or was it consistency there are about three or four stories that i think really did consistency absolutely helped um it, nothing flatters me more than when people say, if it's not him or Fightful, we don't believe it. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily healthy, but it makes me happy to see people have that confidence. But one of the first big stories I broke was that Ronda Rousey was training to be a pro wrestler. That one helped quite a bit. By far, 
the biggest one was CM Punk returning to wrestling. And that's one that I worked on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, then this year, my God, it's just been a guano crazy year. There was the Sasha, <laughs> the Sasha Naomi thing was big. Cody Rhodes leaving AEW was like, it's, it's neck and neck with the CM Punk one, honestly, in general interest. Yeah. And it, it swallowed up stone cold, Steve Austin. So you had the Austin story. You had the Austin story too. Austin was a blip on the radar less than 24 hours after I broke it because of the, the Cody thing. And then obviously when people are getting bit backstage, that helps subscriptions too. Um, that yeah, was people eating people always does. There's yeah. something about, you know, we all have that, uh, that instinct, survival the instinct. And yes. whenever you hear about somebody in a locker room eating somebody else, yeah, it gets attention. Yeah. I talked to a, a PR guy, uh, a couple, like maybe three or four weeks ago. He's like, Hey, let me know if you need anything. I was like, can you bite somebody backstage? That would be very helpful to me right <laughs> hey, now. Actually. We've talked about it on the Matt Hardy podcast. He said Vince McMahon told him directly multiple times that wanting to eat someone's face is primal instinct. So you never know, Sean, you might. It's, it's, I'll tell you what it's primal for getting those subscriptions. <laughs> so where are you numbers wise now with Fightful Select? So we are, are back around where we were around the time, like right the night of All Out. And mm-hmm. uh, it went from like 7,500 all the way up to 11,000. And we knew that in the winter it was going to scale back to like 7,500 to 8,500 because of Christmas. Like it's always a down period, all that stuff. But um, yeah, we're, we're sitting around 80, 81, 8,200 now. I mean, that's incredible given the amount of growth in that short period of time. And look, the reality is people cancel subscriptions. That just, that happens. And and truthfully, Sean, a a lot of that reason is because people smartened up and they're starting to use rocket money. And what am I talking about here? Well, get this 80 percent of people have subscriptions they forget about maybe it's an unused amazon prime account or paramount plus or hulu you name it people don't even remember that they got it because we have so many things on our mind and subscriptions cost a lot of money it could be 200 plus dollars a year that you are wasting and thankfully rocket money is there to help you out the app shows all your subscriptions in one place and then it cancels for you whatever you don't want to use anymore rocket money can even find subscriptions you didn't even know you were still paying for you might even find out that you've been double charged for one subscription and to cancel subscription all you have to do is just press cancel and rocket money takes care of the rest eric how easy has rocket money been for you to use yeah i'm a high-tech redneck right i I don't hide it it is what it is so Sometimes things that are easy for others when it comes to um, digital in any form, uh, it's not as easy for me. Rocket money is easy for me. I can do it. I don't have to ask my wife for help. I don't have to Google anything. I just go to the app. I can see all of the information that's available. If I want to know how much money I'm spending in subscriptions every month, guess what? I just push a button and it tells me. And I can scroll down and discover all the things that I signed up for six years ago while I was sitting in a bar at an airport waiting for a flight that sounded like a good idea in the moment. And I absolutely forgot about when I got home and I forgot about it for three or four years and boom, a button makes it go away. I love that. But here's the other thing I love. I've, I, I really love ever since I started, you know, working with Conrad and I started listening to a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey. He was kind of a financial, um, leader he's got his own podcast i really started paying attention to money 
in a lot in, in a much different way before i was always just focused about on making it right I, and i've always had the ability to out earn some you know stupid decisions but once i realized how much money i wasted it started to really anger me and rocket money is giving me the tools for example it tells me you know every month how much money i spend on groceries but if i've exceeded the, the budget that i've established for that i go okay well got to pay a little more attention when i go to the store or here's the one that always really it's not groceries it gets me mother it's dining out it's eating and drinking i usually kick my own ass in that category but rocket money tells me Here's what you did last month. This is not what you wanted to do, and I can adjust accordingly. And I think it's a very valuable tool because it keeps your spending habits right in front of you and keeps you aware of it and reminds you of the stuff you forgot about four years ago in a bar. So, my advice: be like Eric Bischoff. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money right now. Go to RocketMoney.com/slash/Bischoff. It, it could literally save you hundreds of dollars per year, if not more than that. That's rocketmoney.com slash Bischoff. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash Bischoff. And we thank it just, you. It just, it just, I don't mean to interrupt you, especially in the middle of a read, but I really, really love this service and this product. I believe it in 100%. That's why I love doing these podcasts because you get access to so many things that you, I wouldn't have otherwise probably looked at it and wouldn't have realized how much it could help me. But the first time I sat down and went through the list of all kinds of stuff that I signed up for, so the most recent one was like 29 bucks a month and I haven't used the service in three and a half or four years. Wow. 29 bucks a month! Wow. I ended up saving over 230 or $240 just on stuff that I wasn't using that most of it I forgot I even had. Do it, save money. Rocketmoney.com slash Bischoff and we thank them for sponsoring strictly business let's get back to you here sean i think that one of the reasons you've found so much success with that business model is because you have become one of the true elite voices in breaking news in professional wrestling that process is so fast as as a journalist as someone who has broken hundreds of stories across different forms of media in my career i find everyone's process to be so interesting we heard from mike johnson's process last week i would love to know what makes your process so efficient for you to be able to break stories left and right? I am willing to tell somebody to get absolutely fucked if I think they're full of shit. Um, I can't count how many people have come to me and they're like, oh, I've got this news tip. I've got this news tip. And they might be writing. They might be in news. And you're so desperate to get that first news tip or that that piece of news that you're willing to almost believe anything and and get whatever it takes to to make that a story. And to me, it was always slow and steady, slow and steady, because when you do it slow and steady for, for long enough, well, then your, your consistency and accuracy and credibility get to the point to where people are just going to come to you and trust you. And the, the level of, of sources that you cultivate and develop will be much higher. Like, um, that, that was the biggest thing for me. I was willing to pass on so many things. And an unfortunate part about this job is that I have to ask a lot of very important people, very stupid questions because I'm not allowed to assume. Like I, I remember even one time I asked, um, a, a WWE exec and they're like, you know, the answer to this. I'm like, yes, I do know the answer to this in my heart of hearts, but I'm not allowed to assume the answer of this. I'm not allowed to do that. 
you have to tell me, you have to confirm it. You have to deny it. And in wrestling, especially that can be, that can be hard. Like for example, when the MJF craziness was going on, if he even told me something, I didn't feel comfortable running it. He's MJF. I had to second source his own words with somebody because I was like, well, this, this ain't going to happen like this. I'm not going to go out like that type of thing. And ultimately, every day I'm talking to the best liars in the world, and I mean that as a compliment, because these people go out and they make you think they're hurt when they're not and make you think they're not hurt when they are hurt, and they can barely walk into the arena. So you have to really navigate that in a very special way that you wouldn't in other other ways. Like sports, I, like I have a lot of sports writers and, and journalists that are interested in wrestling and will kind of like trade scoops type of thing. Like I want to know about football. They want to know about wrestling. We just share what we know type of thing. And they're like, man, I don't ever have to deal with somebody trying to work me like that. That is the unique aspect of wrestling that you don't get elsewhere. And that I had to sort of navigate. And fortunately I've, I've, I've been pretty good at that. You've been damn good at that. And that's the big difference. And I can tell you from being on, and I've been on both sides of it. When I get a call from somebody that I trust, I'm willing to share much more. I'm willing to explore a conversation or an incident. Um, whereas a lot of the people that I've not a lot, but some of the people that I've been contacted in the past, not, not in the last 10 years. Um, I absolutely know they were scumbags and there was no reason to tell them anything because they're going to twist it and turn it and make it fit into their own agenda anyway. So why bother? But if you can develop that rapport with especially executives and it is tricky, man, you were so right on the money with that. And, and a lot of, again, I said a lot, some people in your profession are so not only gullible to it, but they embrace it because it gives them something to write about. And sure. As long as they have something to write about, they crank out a dirt sheet or a newsletter or a website. And for you to have the discipline to not do that, because that's so tempting, especially if it's somebody that you want to believe, right? I mean, there are those people that will tell you something and you know in your heart before they utter a syllable, they're probably going to be lying to you or misleading you or just using you to fulfill their own agenda and you know that going in and and you handle that accordingly but there are others you, you kind of want to believe them yeah but you still got to check them and that's really really admirable appreciate it, it's, that. it's wild how it develops because you, you might have a, a random twitter burner account that pops up <laughs> and then all of a sudden and you're like first off how'd you get through my message requests but two they're giving you a huge story and you check on it and it's absolutely true. And I'm like, what the hell? Then you might have somebody with a blue check mark next to their name feeding you absolute bullshit. One of my, my methods so far is if the first time somebody feeds me something, it's wrong. I'm probably, I'm just not going to trust you again. If like you've given me dozens and dozens of tips and one is off. All right. Things change. Things happen. That's unfortunate. But um, it's it's hard to overcome a first impression, mm -hmm. and uh, you, you just never know. <laughs> there, but they do come at like random things. You never know who might provide you information. I remember one time, 
this guy was like, I know this is going to sound weird, but Ricky Morton is at a grocery store and won't shut the hell up about going in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then like two weeks later, they announced it. (laughs) You never know. And then there was a guy who said, hey, this is going to sound weird, but my dad is a limo driver and drove the undertaker to an airport to go to Saudi Arabia. And I was like, yeah, sure, buddy. Next thing you know, the undertaker is in Saudi Arabia in a parade on an undertaker float driving (laughs) down the street. Like you never know. What yeah. might happen? And I didn't run either one of those, but you never know where news comes from. So then what is the indicator that I am okay reporting this? Like for me personally, if I was breaking news, I always like to try to have two independent sources at yes. minimum before I ran something. What is th- Because a lot of fans and readers and viewers don't quite understand what makes someone comfortable with going ahead and reporting a significant piece of news. So I would love to know what that baseline is for you. There are very, very rare instances where I will do anything that, that doesn't require double sourcing. If somebody wants to put their name on it, on the record, like if uh, we'll just throw out a name and we'll say Eric Bischoff. If Eric Bischoff wants to tell me Eric Bischoff is starting up a new wrestling company with Conrad Thompson, well, I can run that and say, well, Eric Bischoff tells Fightful Select. I don't really, I, I'm going to hit up Conrad, obviously, and I'm going to say, Hey Conrad, what's up with this? Can I can I gain some more details? Especially if it's anonymous sourced, it's to it's at minimum two, but I'm usually like for the Cody thing, I'm exhausting my sources. I'm hitting up every single person that would possibly have any information about that. Uh and and exhausting those sources and they don't have to tell me anything. The way I always say it is nobody owes me information, I owe our readers information. So like these people know that they don't have to get back to me. No sweat, no big deal, but I'm going to hit them up. I'm going to try. They can tell me to buzz off. They can not answer. They can answer, but you have to try more than you not even try. You have to get the information from more than one place to feel comfortable doing it. And sometimes it's just about getting that tip. Sometimes just me finding out, like, for example, Goldberg came back a couple different times and I found out and I asked uh, a WWE rep and they're like, yep, you got us. And I don't think they were that hurt about that information being out there after that, because then they could promote that Goldberg was going to be on raw or something like that where, where they weren't going to otherwise. So it, it also, it really varies from situation to situation. Goldberg is like the kiss farewell tour that started in 1998. <laughs> yes. You know, and first of all, if someone keeps coming back, I beg, it begs the question, did they ever leave in the first place? Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's it's very responsible, Sean, that that method of how you go about doing it. And I can attest I've seen your process firsthand. It is tried and true. And I think your reputation speaks for itself. And it's hard because you're serving uh, readership that is just so hungry for constant, constant information. And Eric Bischoff, the good news is if you're hungry this holiday season for more and more good eatings well our friends over at jimmy's famous seafood they want to help you out this is a wrestling institution and jimmy's right now is shipping food nationwide with free two-day nationwide shipping on orders over 125 dollars excluding steamed crabs and fresh items using our very special strictly business promo code wrestlebiz that's w-r-e-s-t-l-e 
B-I-Z. Eric, I know that you have had Jimmy's Famous Seafood. This is some of the best stuff out there, isn't it? Okay, so let's just lay it out there. Jimmy's Famous Seafood is the domestic U.S. equivalent of the Ribera Steakhouse. There we go. I like it. All right. This has become a wrestler's restaurant. This is where anybody who's anybody stops by and pays homage while they're eating some of the best food anywhere in the country. I did it. I'm glad I did it. By the way, I order the crab cakes for special holidays as we are doing for Christmas uh, coming up because the crab cakes, I kid you not, and I'm not exaggerating here, it is some of the most mind-bogglingly good seafood I've ever had. Like, and they come in these, I don't know if they're six or eight ounce patties, I think they're six. And I look at them, I go, well, I can eat three of those. I'm hungry. <laughs> they're so good and they're so rich that one is is completely satisfying for me, regardless of what, what whatever kind of appetite. And the, the rest of the product that they have, seriously, we're not just reading this because, you know, we're friends with the people at Jimmy's and we are, or because we're trying to make a buck. Oh, by the way, we are. Otherwise, this show wouldn't be available to you for free. But I honestly, with all my heart, cannot cannot suggest this product well enough. And it ships right to your home. It's affordable. You'll you'll be proud. You'll be glad you did. And they've got these special holiday gifts, too, as Eric was just alluding to, like the famous gift box, which includes four of the world's best colossal Maryland crab cakes, two different crab soups, crab dip, seafood seasoning, and their signature bay sauce of the tailgate bundle with two pounds of wings, a full rack of barbecue ribs, a pint of crab dip and crab cake mix, or you can even create your own package. This is a company, a restaurant with over 40 years in business that's been featured on diners, dine-ins and drives, beat Bobby Flay. Listen, if Guy Fieri's going to your place, you know that this is good stuff and Strictly Business wants to hook you up. Promo code WrestleBiz to get free two-day nationwide shipping on orders over $125. This is the good stuff. Go get it on your table for the holiday season. Jimmy's JimmysFamousSeafood.com. So good, man. So good. This so let, let me ask you, I want to I want to throw this question out there before we move on to another subject. So, Sean, why does somebody want to give you information? What, what motivates your sources? That's what I always have to question. You have to question that every single time. Sometimes it's me asking. Sometimes it's just that. And a, a lot of the people that, that I get information from aren't on screen. They don't work there. They don't have agendas. But they're tips that lead to me getting that information. Uh, sometimes it is somebody in the company that believe that, that that information being out there would be beneficial for somebody else or for themselves. Uh, the thing is, I got to remove their agenda from anything. Yeah, I was going like to say, that's where it gets pretty tricky because that's so, historically I'll, that's been the case. I'll point to a specific instance. Uh, there was an NWA taping a few months ago and somebody leaked to me that there was like this big talent meeting and it didn't sit right with the talent and all that stuff. And they thought it was ridiculous. They thought it only happened because AEW had a talent meeting. <laughs> well, I, I think that they expected me to just run that and another outlet did, but I, I know a dozen people in that locker room 
So I hit up a dozen people and they're like, no, it wasn't a big deal. It was about picking up trash on the floor because the <laughs> venue got left, a, <laughs> left a mess last time. And Luke Hawks was saying, Hey guys, we're using this venue. Let's respect this venue, please. Um, and they were like, no, there was, there was nothing here. There was, it wasn't bad at all. And like, they were talking about people walking out and all that. I asked the person that they claimed walked out and they're like, well, I had to get ready for my match that was starting. <laughs> like it was the opening that is match. So, that is just awesome. I love so hearing that. So you just never know. And wrestlers, wrestlers like to talk. I mean, a lot of it is a hurry up and wait day, right? They get there eight hours before a show and they're sitting around putting tape on and things like that. So they talk and they like to talk. Um, also, again, it's that that influence of entertainment and sports crossover and, and all that stuff. But what you asked me is what I have to ask every single time I get a piece of news. Uh, why do they want me to know this? Sometimes it's to create buzz. Sometimes it's because they feel like it's legitimately the right thing to do. Sometimes it's absolutely petty bullshit. Um, as we went on the air. Uh, the Vince McMahon thing came out with Wall Street Journal. Well, wh why Why was it the Wall Street Journal? Because whoever had that news felt like it was most appropriate for Wall Street Journal to have that. For example, if I would have broken that news, I don't know if it would have registered to the level that it did. But the person who leaked that information and leaked it this summer, they knew that the Wall Street Journal getting that news would change something. I think a lot of it is what can this information do for a person, the wrestling industry, or in general? And sometimes it's just as simple as me uh, asking. So let's talk about that. Because I sure. saw that news this morning, and the first thing I thought was, you know, this can't be true. I mean, and again, I, I want to make it clear. I don't know Vince McMahon. I, sure. And I think anybody outside his immediate family, like immediate family, and maybe one or two others really understand Vince McMahon. I clearly do not. Um, I spent four months trying to figure it out and failed miserably. But I find it so hard to believe. But, you know, I'm looking at this a Wall Street Journal. Well, they're not going to, you know, throw rumors and innuendo out there necessarily. But why would somebody, why do you think, I know I'm calling it speculation, pure speculation. But why would somebody do that? Why would somebody leak that story to Wall Street Journal? What oh, could possibly be gained? Pure speculation. They don't want him to come back. Right. Because immediately following, um, and, and what kind of language am I allowed to use here? Because I already um, dropped an F-bomb. I think we already, yeah, we already, cool. We already said yeah. fuck, so I think you're uh, good. A, a higher, right. WB higher up said, there ain't no fucking way. As soon as that story dropped to me. Which means that they wanted that it they wanted it out there that a WWE higher up said that there was no off the record there was no kayfabe this there was nothing nothing of that degree mm -hmm. they whoever leaked this I think wanted it to be known that Vince McMahon wants to come back and is telling people that but he's got a gaggle of other issues and that's why they don't want him back um, I it is. This year has just been insane, insane. And I mean, all faith was lost in Vince McMahon from, from a lot of the talent that I spoke to in January, like Royal Rumble time. It was one of the worst creative periods that, that a lot of these people said that they experienced. And then, you know, Cody came in and it caused a little bit of 
of a morale boost. People are like, all right, this is cool. Then those stories broke. And when those stories came out, I fully believe that it was somebody who had something to gain. I don't have any way to confirm that, but especially considering this one now, like the first stories, I could have believed that like somebody got tipped off and a ton of, I know a ton of work was put into it, but then you go down the rabbit hole. But when this one drops as well, and the word is, well, Vince wants to come back. Oh, and this story is going to drop the same night of his Vice documentary. Oh, and by the way, here's two more allegations. And Rita Chatterton's back into the fold. Oh, I do believe that was concentrated and intentional. Absolutely. Put, putting on my journalist hat, the fact that it that same report of Vince wanting to come back is attached to the report of two additional lawsuits. Yes. That, again, investigator in me says... That is someone presenting something, trying to get out there. Hey, as this stuff is happening in the background, this is what is going through Vince's camp. And and as a result of that, you have that conscious effort of trying to alert the general public. And exactly. I think that's exactly, you're on the right line of thinking there, Sean. And to, to your point, John, if it's a story about Vince wanting to come back, that's the kind of story that gets leaked to me. Right. If the story about Vince wanting to come back and he's got two more lawsuits allegations, that's the type of story that gets leaked to Wall Street Journal. Because they, if if I break it, I know my place in media. I know it's not going to make like, it ain't going to pop up on Yahoo if, if that's the case. But when Wall Street Journal writes about it and says, oh, he wants to come back, but there's two more really significant things uh, that that make us not want him to come back, being us being WWE, uh, as how I assume they'd say it. That's that's the big difference there. God, it's fascinating because I didn't think about all this. I, you know, I just I looked at it, went, oh, that's weird. I yeah. can't imagine it. I didn't give it a lot of thought beyond that. But as you guys both are laying this out, it's like, man, that's that's some intrigue going on there. It's it's some like palace coup shit. It's really interesting because <laughs> the first thing I'm thinking about is okay. Because I know a few people in WWE, um, who would stand to benefit from that? You know, and it's it's a fascinating journey. We'll never know, but it it kind of makes you think. Let me ask you, Sean. Do you do you find that you are more? Uh, excuse me, I said John. I meant Sean. Do you find that you are more cynical now than perhaps you were before you got deeply into this business as a result of having to? question people's motives and honesty and integrity and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, that, that had, that goes with a lot of things. That's me watching way more wrestling than any human should in general, um, dealing with really, really strange people on social media can make you cynical. Oh, I mean, like the, the, the weirdos over wrestling. I mean, I love wrestling. I love talking to people about wrestling. It's my favorite thing, but like that stuff will make you cynical in general. But yeah, I am far. I doubt everything immediately. I'm always like, "Oh yeah, really?" type of things because there are some people that would just take great joy in being like, "Oh, I know you've gotten hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of stories, honestly, accurately." But this one's wrong. I got you. I fooled you. You're not credible. Um, there are people that would absolutely take joy in that. You know. This is this is such a great conversation, and I it makes me admire what you do even more. And I was thinking about you know the weirdos on social media, and it used to drive me nuts. You know, a little bit of self revelation here, and kind of pulling down my pants. I 
there was a time when I, you know, I go on social media and I read this stuff and I get so angry. Mm -hmm. And then I, I went, okay, well, that's not working for me. Cause I'd walk around all day, all pissed off, you know? And I started, I turned it around and started having fun with it. And now I like screw with, I'll say stupid stuff that I know is going to piss off a certain segment of the audience. Cause I know they're going to respond with some stuff that is so stupid. I can have I, fun with it. The Ric Flair thing the other day I saw. It, yeah. Yeah. Where you yeah, said you made Ric okay. Flair. That was good. All right. Let's just have some fun with it. You know, and once you start, and uh, here's the other thing I learned on social media, it's really hard to use humor in social media, unless you're literally telling a joke because tone and, and, body language and so many of the things that are necessary for people to go, Oh, okay. Well, he's not really serious. This is kind of a joke. You don't have those tools in social media. You got 140 characters or whatever it is, 240 characters. And I've, I've tried to be funny. It's really difficult, but it it's really easy to screw with stupidity. And and I noticed that you do that too. It's one of the yeah, reasons I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I love following you. Yeah, I love yeah. having you here. Cause you like, you'll swing back at stupidity. I, and I love that in you. The only thing that will upset me or piss me off is like the murder threats, death threats. That's very weird. That is incredibly weird and unfortunately happens. Unfortunately, but a lot. it happens a lot. Um, and to me, it is just like, I, I got to think about that. I mean, people that will dedicate their lives to disliking somebody. I'm like, okay, well, how sad is your life really? Cause rarely do I meet somebody. Right. I, I've never met anybody like this in person. I've never had one of these people come up to me like that. But I mean, a lot of this stuff, I'm like, they'll just say these things and I'm like, all right. And honestly, unless it's something that's like threatening physical harm, I'm never really upset about it. I don't care about your wrestling opinions. I don't care. I, I'll have at least once a week, somebody's like, you didn't give appropriate criticism to this. And I'm like, well, then you do it. Your opinion means... <laughs> Your opinion means exactly as much as mine. Why does mine matter? Because because of, of a follower count or a blue check mark? Who gives a shit about that? Go criticize it on your own. You don't need me to hold your hand through it, right? Like, but yeah. Also, my ability with our business model to be like, no, fuck you. The customer isn't always right. Is very beneficial. I can't tell you how many people that are like, oh, you're not professional. Okay. Sorry that you feel that way, but I don't owe you a certain level of professionalism unless it becomes a problem to the point to where we're hemorrhaging subscribers and we're not making money and we're not able to provide jobs for over 40 people, then it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. But if it's you, me disagreeing with something you like about wrestling or me saying, hey, you're stupid for being a racist I'm sorry. That's not, that's not unprofessional in my opinion. And I own part of the website. So I deem what is professional for our outlet. That's awesome. That's like, awesome. for example, there are some people that are like, why aren't you covering this, 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 and this? I don't deem it professional to cover who's screwing who, who's married to who, uh, who's like any of that stuff. I don't care. I don't care who's doing that stuff. And if, you do? Well, guess what? You can go start up a website and you can cover that stuff to your heart's content. I'm not gonna. I deemed that unprofessional. I deemed it not necessary for our outlet to do that. I deemed it necessary for our outlet to not cover, to not attack people personally over subjective entertainment unless, you know, they're a racist 
or a homophobe or an, uh, an aberrant person or something like that. Uh, that's the beauty of a privately owned website is that we get to decide what flies and what doesn't. And if you don't like it, well, you're the consumer. You can you can choose to not not consume my whistling kitty chaser or Husker do <laughs> or Husker don't. And you get to go seek that out up the road. You can go up the road to another fireworks stand and, and find that as well. And maybe they'll serve you better and they'll succeed as a result. Before we wrap up, where where where's Fightful go next? Huh, so I've had a couple of ideas. I want to do a Fightful Select Espanol really, really bad um, because there are a lot of Spanish language speakers that want our news and our news is getting aggregated. I, I see it a lot in other languages and I'll have people that are like, man, I would pay for this if it were in my language. So I'm going to see how that works. And naturally what I believe is that if we start to do something like a fightful select Espanol and we're covering WWE and AEW and ring of honor and impact that the triple A's and CMLLs of the world might take notice of that and be like, well, we want you to interview our talent. And as a result, we will have some of our bilingual uh, freelancers be able to pick up more work. They will be able to translate the interviews that they do in Spanish. We had a guy named Carlos Toro who was great at that. He would interview these wrestlers in Spanish and we, he would translate it to English and we would have the scoop on everybody because nobody else was doing that. I think that we'll get more access uh, via Fightful Select Espanol. I would love a Japanese version of that too, but that is a much, much, much more difficult market to penetrate than, um, than the Espanol market where you're dealing with the same alphabet and all that and secrets aren't as tight-lipped. But I do want to branch out internationally in that sense and, and sort of break those barriers. And Sean, I know it's very important for you and we can kind of wrap on this to set the right example for how you believe wrestling should be covered throughout the industry. You're very supportive of other outlets that aren't even your own doing things the right way. Why is that important to you in setting a standard for the next few generations who will look up to you like a Dave Meltzer or Wade Keller as a significant name in the industry? Because nobody helped me except for Bill Apter. Bill Apter was the only guy that helped me. He was the only one that was willing to give me a chance. And to be fair, he was willing to give me a chance because I was going to do free work for him. <laughs> but, and, I, and I love the guy. Like I will always be thankful for him. And, and that free work paid off because when Jimmy Van hit up Bill Apter, Bill Apter said, Sean Ross Sapp is the guy you want for this. And uh, I'll never forget that. And the way that I look at it is if, and I'm just going to arbitrarily throw out a name there. If Alex McCarthy, overseas or or anybody else starts breaking news well guess what i'm really really good at taking that and piggybacking off of it and getting more details i want as many people breaking accurate news as possible because our audience knows that even if it's broken somewhere else sean ross sap's going to go out and he's going to find out a hell of a lot more information about it that that we're going to pay for and get so i want this to succeed i don't want it to be one two or three guys doing it i want it to be 15 20 25 guys breaking accurate news. I want to spend my day uh, finding out this information for our readers and, and sort of expanding this as opposed to keeping it closed off and, and all that, because I'm secure in where I am right now. I'm for the first time in my life, I'm doing incredibly well financially. And uh, I would like to see that become an industry of credibility 
instead of an industry of doubt, which I have seen it be for a long time. And uh, yeah, I, I want to leave it better than, than what I found it. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a very important thing to me. Man, I, I, I can't tell you how much I look up to you, man. You're, you're doing, you're doing great work and you're good for the business. You are good for the Appreciate wrestling it. industry. And, and I think I said the same thing to Sheer and Johnson, you know, last week, you know, I think reputable um, sites reporting that has integrity and, and strives to be accurate um, is, is good for the business as anything. And I think that people who don't follow your pattern or don't follow your process and really don't care about the things that are obviously important to you are bad for the business. And I really, really respect and admire what you're doing. I often, you know, throw dirt sheet sites under the bus in kind of a general way and in, in things that I say and do, but I want to make it clear to anybody listening to me that you definitely don't fall into that category. I really, really dig what you're doing. And I love busting your balls occasionally on Twitter. Really so thanks, for, thanks for entertaining me there. <laughs> I love it. And, and love Eric, it. he took all that Fightful Select money and he even used it to save with Conrad in the process. How I about did. I legit, oh, that's outstanding. The home that I am in right now is is a result of Save with Conrad and and Francis, who did incredible work uh, helping me do that. Francis is a sweet. She's an angel. She's the best. She is the she absolute really is. best. And I I can tell people that are watching this like my line of work is not very conducive uh, as a as an independent contractor of. Banks being like, yeah, buddy, we're going to let you get into a house. <laughs> All those deductions, we love that. <laughs> but uh, Francis and Savage Conrad absolutely made that happen. So uh, well, there, there's, there's a free plug for you, Conrad. <laughs> Sean, you're one of the best at what you do, man. And, and we appreciate you joining us here on strictly business with eric bischoff where can people find all your work and all the extra information about fightful and fightful select fightful.com is the, is the easiest bet uh we've got links to select we've got links to our youtube uh we would greatly appreciate if you would subscribe to youtube we are live every single weeknight we have several weekday shows as well there is something on fightful that you will like uh whether it be a, a daily show or interviews we're we're doing more interviews than ever now uh we're just expanding constantly and and trying to do some good trying to to uh support the business while also giving you guys accurate information great stuff there and uh we're we're extremely appreciative of you joining us here on strictly business as we are all of you who tuned in to listen to or watch this episode we wish you a happy holidays on behalf of the podcast heat and ad free shows team and we look forward to seeing you next week right here on Strictly Business. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.